What up, it's Leno the Wave God, and welcome to episode four of the Do-Rags and Stethoscopes podcast. On this episode, we have a healthy debate about funding or defunding the police. We also talk about some of the worst jobs we've had, and I want to apologize to Lit in advance. We end things with our first interview, Kalen Robbins, a brewmaster from Anheuser-Busch. And although he's an Ohio State fan, he did drop some knowledge on us. Be sure to check us out on your favorite podcast platform, and be sure to interact with us on social media. And as always, thanks for listening. What is up? What is up? Welcome in to Do Rags and Stethoscopes. As always, I am the Lit MD here with Leno the Wave God. What up? What up? And as you know, we got our production team, Brick and Shock. Say what up to the people. What's good? Yo. Hey, hey, welcome back in. So today we have a hot topic. I mean, it's been a hot topic in our nation for years, but it definitely caught you know more steam over the past years. I'm glad that it did. Um, this topic can be pretty volatile. Uh, when we were first discussing and, and planning out, as we do with our production meetings, it got eh, minorly heated, but I think we all kind of want the same thing out of this. So today, we are going to start it off right into it. We are talking about funding versus defunding the police, as well as what is your life worth to you? So the way I'm going to open this up, simple yes or no question. I'll pitch it to everybody, and then we'll go from there. So should we fund the police? You know? That, that's that's an awful, awfully worded question. Should we increase the funding or should we? Well, I'm going to circle back and ask, should we defund? So should we, how about this? Instead of yes or no, we'll say, should we, Leno, should we fund or defund the police? Defund. Okay. Brick, For should sure. we fund or defund the police? Fund. Okay. Shock, should we fund or defund the defund police? Defund that shit. Bet. And then I say that we should fund the police. Now, before we get into this very volatile topic, I want to preference it by saying my reasoning for funding the police does not involve the current police force that we have in place. OK, so before I get into my bag, I want to let Brick pitch out some of the data, some of the some of the information that we have. And then I'm going to let Leno go off on it. I'm going to hop back. Then go in, and we're just going to have a dialogue. All right, fellas? Rick, please get us started. All right. So I did extensive research on three police departments, the Atlanta Police Department, Richmond Police Department in Richmond, Virginia, and Las Vegas Metro Police Department. So just looking at the statistics, Atlanta Police Department covers approximately 506,000 civilians, um, but everybody knows the metropolitan area is about 6 million, but we're just talking about the city of Atlanta, not surrounding cities and towns and everything that also have police departments. They have about 1400 officers with a budget of $205 million. And then we're going to go to Richmond, Virginia police department, 
which watches over approximately 230,000 civilians. They have approximately 920 officers, and they have a budget of $95 million. And then we're going to the lovely Sin City, Las Vegas Metro Police Department, which recently locked up uh, Beast Mode, Marshawn Lynch. Um, they beast. cover... Free Beast Mode. Um, yeah, free Beast Mode. They cover, because it's the Metropolitan, because they cover everything, approximately 2.2 million civilians. They have 5,800 approximate officers with a budget of $856 million. So if you break that down, you have a metropolitan area in one of the largest counties in the country, just area-wise which is Las Vegas. Then you have a major city, which the largest airport, well, the most popular airport in the country, Hartsfield. And oh, it's the largest, too. I did yeah, that Hartsfield, Hartsfield <laughs> shuffle. Ran three miles. <laughs> yeah. It so, is my yeah, So you literally have a plethora of people influxing to that city. And then you have a smaller, I guess, mid-major, because it's not a major city, but Richmond, Virginia, and so we took those three departments with a vast range of their salaries. And I mean, this is all public knowledge. You can look it up of their salary or the police salaries and the budget that the city gets for that area. All right. So, Leno, please explain. And Shock, you can chime in. I'm going to let y'all get in your bag real quick. Why do you want to defund the police? Well, my big thing is, my biggest thing is you have an influx of money. So if I'm, if I understood you correctly, Brick, $205 million for the Atlanta Police Department. Let's pick on Atlanta for a second. And then nothing against Atlanta's Police Department, but that's just the first one off the list we'll pick on. $205 million with the percentage that I'm looking at here, we're talking about $9 million of that going out to be uh, salaries. So everybody is paid, you know, your salaries are paid out for your entire police force, not even topping out, not even topping off at $10 million. At $10 million, you're being generous, but nobody's getting the next. I mean, that's, we're being wasteful at that point, giving away $10 million. So out of $205 million, your, your biggest concern that you raised the other day in paying your police force is the salaries. You've got mm-hmm. an excess of $195 million that's just sitting for Atlanta Police Department that they could fund as far as being able to teach their officers how to let properly. Me, I'm going to just give you something, and it's not to cut you off. I'm going to let you get back into it. So I looked it up. The average police salary, according to Indeed.com, as well as Salary.com for Atlanta police officers, right mm-hmm. around 58000 but they say right. between 56 to 65. So right. go back. So pull in. I pulled off the budget for now. This is off the 22 fiscal year. The mm-hmm. um, the adjusted total salaries was nine million seventy five thousand. Hold on, I got that exact figure for you, big dog. Nine million nine million seventy five thousand four hundred thirty two dollars, which is a nine thousand looks like a nine thousand seven hundred eighty eight dollar difference from the year prior. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about a fraction and that's putting it mildly, you know, that's going towards paying your personnel, which, you know, would depend on how you're looking at it. Could be a good thing. It could be a bad thing, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, 
really you got to access the funds that aren't going to properly teach and train these guys so you have a reduced yep. instance of incidents as opposed to you know police doing what they're supposed to do protect and serve as opposed to you know a lot of situations where they take life um taking you know take life without any sort of recourse or any sort of reason why you know outside of not being properly trained i hear you i hear you now shock What's your reasoning behind it? Why do you want to defund the police? The way I see it is, so the way these cities work, so there's a budget that they got, public money, and they're allocating it, the city council, whatever the case may be. So the money that is going towards the police could be going to, uh, instead of, we don't need more police. There's studies that have shown, there's a report from 2017 where they kept track of like low-level situations or low low violence situations, and those the fact that they had less uh, police on the streets actually led to fewer crimes as well. They put more mental health individuals out there. So there's no need to put more police on the street. Police, more police on the street isn't going to help anything. There's money that can be spent in other areas. I mean, there's teachers out here that we need. There's there's all different types of stuff that we need out here. But uh, that's that's my take. I'm interested to hear, you know, why you feel that we should get the funding. Right. So my take when it comes to this, I mean, if you look at the budget, the budget break down, like Leno said, out of that from Atlanta, you said nine million go to salaries. But you also got to look at things like training, vehicles, maintenance for these vehicles. So, I mean, if you look at any budget, if you look at any like financials of any major company, Salaries are a very small part of it because lit you work in a hospital. How much does the MRI machine cost? The machine or to get the scan? The machine itself. Uh, it's a couple mil. Yeah. And just saying like, so you have to understand like you, we need to fund these people. But when it comes to the police officers, I think the funding should go toward should be like broken down differently. Like, yes, I understand you need to fund the police. We need police. But also at the same time, there's police officers that come in and they don't want to just work on the street. I know police officers who did their time and they just want to work at a school. They want to be a school resource officer. And I feel like we should fund that. Like, hey, because I want schools being shot. I don't want Uvalde happening again. That is the last thing that anybody in the United States of America or the world wants happening again. So if there's a officer that wants to come straight in and help out schools, give that man his money, pay him because you start increasing salaries. More people start wanting that job. And I'm guarantee you that you can make the qualifications harder for a higher salary and you will get better candidates. You will get those people who live in those areas, who grew up in those towns, who grew up in those cities to want to do that, to want to make their place a, a better place to live and safer. And then we're also going into the funding of fire department. I was talking to Lit earlier. If you look at Atlanta's fire uh, fire department, I think they get like a hundred million dollars. But how many fires happen on a regular basis? I don't know, but they blocked up two lanes of 85 south of my way home to me to do what? Like 45 to so make me late. For, yeah, to do sorry. EMT work. They're not putting out fires. Yes, fires yeah. happen, but. First responders. A lot of those responders. A lot of those firefighters are first responders. They're the first on the scene. They're assisting ambulances. They're doing all that. So 
that's why I say you should fund the police. You should fund them. But we also need somebody to watch where these fundings go so we don't have a lot of corruption. And mm-hmm. that's going to be a different story. Are you, say saying that, are you saying that firefighters should be paid less? No. If we're going to get into it, first responders should be paid more. Teachers should be paid more. These are jobs that are essential that we need that – if they went away, we're going to have a bunch of dumb kids, a bunch of fires, and a bunch of people robbing. But no, no. so, but I'm just saying we're going to jump into it. Like we should increase some of these salaries so you can get better quality candidates. Yeah. So all right. So let me let me make clarification because the reason why I love talking about this topic is one, I feel like there is no real good solution. Like we haven't found one yet. Also, our elected officials seem to be dragging their feet with making a decision because they're worried more about votes. And saving lives. So when I say to fund the police, what I'm saying, you know, people look at that like, oh, you just want to give them more money so they can kill us. That is not what I'm saying. What I want to do is number one, fix the distribution of that budget, right? Like we talk about the loose, the loose ends, right? Britt, you can't convince me. They ain't enough, they ain't putting enough money in them cars. If there's that much money left over when the salary averages out, you know, you look at a fifty-six thousand dollar salary with the police force of that size, there's a lot of money left over. So what I'm saying is we need to redo the entire system. So this is not like a perfect plan or anything. But if I was to give. So say we take. Wait, let me get the exact number that we said. Say we take that budget of two hundred and five million for APD, Atlanta Police Department, and it grows to three hundred million for it to grow to three hundred million. There needs to be a promise that, number one, you will fire all employees that are involved with Atlanta Police Department. Obviously, you know, once again, this is all hypothetical. But you get rid of everyone that is currently in the system. They have the opportunity to get rehired, but there is a much more rigorous training course than the police academy and their psyche valve, which I was looking up the actual site, the police psych exam on police test dot info, which is basically teaching you how to cheat on the psychiatric exam. And it talks about this being you know submitted by a psychologist. One of the things I found interesting, you take this psych exam at the end of your training in the police academy. Now, if you're the strongest, fastest, you know, best shooting police officer and you get like a low grade on the psych exam or even if you fail it, apparently you can retake it. That don't sit right with me. Right. If, if you fail a psychiatric eval, I'm pretty sure you crazy. Sorry to say it like that. I'm pretty sure there's something going on with you. But anyways, my point, because I digress, once you give more money and more funding, you then say you take that $56,000 salary and turn it into $156,000 salary. Obviously, that's a lot. And that wouldn't happen. But if you make a job worth that, you will then have more people vying for the position. By having more people vying for the position, you then can have a much higher pool of candidates to choose from. I want to increase the candidate pool, right? Derek Chauvin, disgusting human being. I feel like he should never should have had the opportunity to put his knee on the back of George Floyd's neck and suffocate that man, right? But you look at how much I don't know how much Minnesota Police Department is making. I'm sure it was enough for Derek Chauvin to think it was a good job. And some of us to be like, nah, my life ain't worth, you know, 56 G's or whatever they were getting. So my point is that I don't want to fund the current officers. I want to redo the entire system with that funding. The next thing we need to have a level of accountability, the same that we try to have with our elected officials. Right. When something happens with with a cop, it's like, oh, they're on administrative leave. Mm, no, I feel like you should be fired and then have to go through a rigorous process to be rehired if they have an incident like that, right? Because these processes can take six months, a year, year and a half. Why are they still getting paid? You know what I'm saying? It's a union. 
I, okay, and that's something. Now that obviously is when we get into the the other details of it. That's something that else that you have to be able to deal with. But if a union is in place to protect the employees, that's one thing. If a union is in place to protect an individual that made a mistake on their job, that's a whole nother thing, right? A union is not in place to protect you when you shoot somebody to keep you covered and make sure that you can still pay your bills. A union is in place when you get hurt on the job and say you get shot while you're going through your medical recovery to make sure that you don't lose your job. And I think we've started to skew what these things actually mean. But the reason why, once again, I would want to fund the police is because I'm not saying give the cop that shot the kid more money. I'm saying give the organization more money so that they can get their shit together, because that's what they need to do. If we could put more money towards psychiatrists, psychologists to have psyche valves, if we could put more money towards training, I'd love for there to be some sort of combat training. I can't pick the sport. Last episode, we talked about MMA, boxing, all that good stuff. But what I would say is if you can then say, I don't even know, man. Say there's there's a way of like, you know, they're supposed to have a way to escalate force. It seemed like they skip past a taser a lot. Am I wrong? Obviously, those aren't always on TV, but <laughs> you got a taser on your hip. You got a nightstick and then you got the piece and you go straight for the strap when you already got somebody in handcuffs. I don't know about all that. Almost to the point where I would say don't give them guns. But, you know, choppers in the street is a real thing. So uh, that's my point. But Leno, it seemed like you want to say something else. Go for it. Bro. Real, real quick, man. I was, I just wanted to rebuttal to something real quick. The first, your first thought as far as removing everybody sounds nice in theory, but then you can't have a period where you, without the, I'm not saying. Well, remember, that. I said that. I said it's not possible. I, right. That part I made sure right. I said. So yeah. just, I, that was on my mind, and it's, and the yeah. second thing that was on my mind. Never in, in history have you looked at a situation where you have someone who shows an inability to effectively manage money to remedy that ha- never has anyone said, let's give them more money. Yeah, I think that's why that's why exactly. you fire the, the managers of the money, though. Yeah, well, that's that why you get rid of the people that are currently managed. Yeah, but then that's still that doesn't mean you still turn around and give bring somebody in there and give them more just because you remove. Just because you take the head off, still you have a system that's set up that with the money that they have, this you know this money is budgeted and allocated based mm-hmm. off of you know factors that we can go in and we can go on and on about those factors. But the bottom line is, it's not like they just pull they don't just pull this number out the air. Mm-hmm. It is it's calculated and put together so that the police force can effectively manage. You know, in this particular in this particular, you know, for this particular debate, we're talking about three major metropolitan areas. Mm-hmm. So if you show an inability to manage that money that's been put together, I'm not I, don't, I wouldn't feel comfortable giving you more money because that just shows me more, you know, more money that's going to be ineffectively used. But now you're just going to have more of it. You so know what I mean? let me rebuttal. Oh, let me rebuttal with this. I'm sorry. Do you think that the police force will get better if you take the money? It's not even about it's not even about taking money. It's not about it's definitely you not about giving more. But it's not about it's not even so much about taking money away. It's about taking the money that they currently have mm-hmm. and putting it to good use. Because they don't need more. They don't need they okay, so then, don't need more. So then I think maybe our thing is that you don't need to fund them. You also don't need to defund them. You need to reallocate funds. Is that if 
I would take that. I would agree with that. I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I would feel mm-hmm. comfortable if my police force had 50 tanks because I wouldn't, I, you know, if somebody tried to, to run up in Richmond and do something crazy like Taliban style, I know we got 50 tanks in the garage that we can, that we mm-hmm. can pull out. And we'll be good to go. You know what I'm saying? Go get but, them tanks out the garage. Right, yeah. Like, go get the tanks because they at the front door thinking they about to kick the door in. Like, that's... I'm cool with that. But if you know okay. how... If across the board, you know how to manage the funds and the funding that you mm-hmm. have put in place so that you, as a police force, your mm-hmm. duty is supposed to be to protect and serve. As a first and responder, you're as, supposed to... Respond. You're exactly right. I agree with you. Uh, Shock, were you about to say something? No, I mean, well, he, that's actually what I was going to bring up, too. I mean, you're spot on. Like, you, you, everyone knows your whole life, like, you are a person of this, of, 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 of society, You're supposed to protect and serve just like that. I mean, people don't get into it for the job, and you can pay more. You can pay more, but that's mm-hmm. not going to fix anything. This coming, I am a recruiter. I understand. Like you can try and pay people more money, but still, it's gonna. That's not gonna fix anything. Do you have more applicants for the higher paying jobs? No, less. Is that isn't that? And then let me ask you: that, Is that because they don't meet the qualifications? Like, are the qualifications stricter? I'm just asking. No, the qualifications. And yeah, they are. They are stricter. They are stricter. So if, so you're if talking we elevate about, the qualifications, say like, I. Don't, Maybe you say like, all right, you got to have a college degree and you got to pass the psyche vow and you got to be have some level of skill in a martial art. The reason I bring up a martial art is because a lot of the martial artists that I've met are calmer people. Like, say, if you if you are, you know, a pro am boxer, if a cop is a pro am boxer, they want to box. They ain't trying to shoot. They, they, well, that's, that's and my thing is, though, generalization, <laughs> because if you want to generalize. And you, and we could that's not a generalization. That's actually a part of the process when I'm talking about if we fight, if we. So once again, like I said, you'd have to get rid of everybody's in. And we said it's not real because if you look at what's happening in Oregon and what has happened when they got rid of their entire police force on the opposite end, that was that was truly anarchy. But my thing is, so even if we up the, the qualifications, we know people with bachelor's degree, master's degrees who still have the bias. Like, that's not going to fix anything. People are still going to be quick to judge a black person, a, a brown person, just because. I mean, that's the way it's raised. But right. I understand to the point earlier that funding could go to training these cops to reverse their whole life and everything they've been uh, accustomed to learn based off the system. Pay more money in hopes that that's going to fix the training yeah. and they're going to fix their biases. But Rick, were you going to? You gonna chime in? Um, so I mean, if you look at the budgets, granted these are public entities, so these bu- these budgets are open. And yeah, they're the public. People service. that fight for the budgets are the people who work there, which is understandable. Mm-hmm. Like the police commissioners, don't you fight for a higher budget? But it the thing that is a issue because a lot of people don't get audited often. Because we were talking about it before, uh, we own this city, which is the city I was born in, the city Lit was born in, Baltimore, Maryland. Baltimore city. city cops had some corrupt issues, and Wayne Jenkins, who was running the Gun Trace Task Force, is in jail right now, and, and because he was scamming the system, and mm-hmm. he did it for years, and he mm-hmm. wasn't getting audited. And if you look at the last year of his salary before he got picked up, 
he made just as much in overtime as he did as his regular salary. Well, I think it was 85 annual salary. He made 83 in overtime. But he got caught on fraud where he was in Puerto Rico and he was still getting those 40 hours plus the overtime and everything else. And that goes so, to Leno's point and Shock's point, right? That That's the individual that, number one, needs to be gone. I agree they need to be locked up. I agree they don't need a dime, right? Because at the end of the day, that's taxpayer money. I agree with y'all. And I think almost of the point of reallocation is is very necessary, right? The And the current officers, I don't think, should get more money, right? I, I, I agree with y'all on that. And I'm even, I'll even go as far to say is if we don't fund them, that's fine. We need to redistribute the money because that was going to go into our next topic, right? The simple phrase of what is your life worth? Because at the end of the day, at, in that job, you can literally lose your life. Now with Uvalde, and this is something I want to touch on. First off, rest in peace to all those little children, the teachers, everyone that lost their lives in that tragic incident. I feel like the cops handled that in a disgusting way. If their excuse is that they didn't have enough weaponry, I'm sorry, armory or any of that, I would pay any amount of money to make sure they had that. Now, I can't talk about the person. I can't say that if they did have the shields, they would go in. But if that's all it took, I bet each and every one of those parents would give more funding to that department for that incident. Or if it would have had like a tactical SWAT team ready for school shooting, whatever it would have been, I think they would have paid more in that moment. Now, that's a tragedy and a crisis, so I don't want to kind of pick on that. But I feel like that is an example of was funding the issue. I mean, I think the cops were trash, but was funding the issue? I don't know what y'all think. For I feel like when it comes to that, I think it gets to a training issue. Um, funding might have been an issue, but training like we talked about in episode one. Some people, they think, oh, I can handle this and bullets start flying and they're froze. They're shocked. I mean, their their body literally goes to tetanus and they can't move because they don't know what to do. But if you are in a position where that is your job, the military does it all the time. We go through this. We shoot. We get shot at. We literally we train police officers need to go through that. I understand that they have their five shifts a week uh, for 10 hours, eight hour days, whatever they do, however they break it down. But somebody needs to take a step back and understand, hey, we need to do every other week. You're going to have almost like a day off of the regular force to train. We're going to practice close quarter combat. We're going to practice your long range shooting. We're going to practice a raid. We're going to practice this. That is something that you need to do because as a football player, before you start like official practice, you go through your first times, you start stretching and then you start doing your one on one drills. I mean, like you do your drills like the running backs, you cover up the ball. Receivers do just, hey, you're going to go yeah. catch this. DB Receivers complain for pass interference. They learn how to do that. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Practice, practice, practice. Because that time, if how many times have you seen running back? Oh, I don't do this. I don't do that. And they like, oh, no, I don't worry about covering up the ball. And sure enough, first play, they get the ball, they fumble. I mean, it happens on every level. Shock never fumbled. Not once. Leno never fumbled. My dogs is A1. Talk about yourself, Brick. I fumbled in practice, not the game, dog. Oh, fucked it all up. It's, it was practice. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Back on topic. Leno, what, what you got to say about, about that point? Talking about, like, you know, 
Valdi and the training of police officers. Which it all comes. It all just circles back to my point about how you're spending money. You know, the your budget is your budget, and that's cool. But are you mm-hmm. really like what are your priorities really? I'll, okay. I, I I I paid attention in history class a little bit. I ain't gonna call myself no history buff, but Teddy Roosevelt once said, "Speak softly and carry a big stick." You know what I'm saying? It's always cool to carry that big stick, but no, everybody forgets that speak softly part. Like nobody really wants because carrying this carrying the stick ain't working. It's 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 too many people walk out here walking around with sticks right now. And not enough people walking around trying to help one another, really trying to help one another out. You know what I'm saying? Tell so if if we really go, if we really want to prioritize, what are, what really are our priorities? What really is the police department's priority? Is it to protect and serve or what really is it? Well, you know, what is their definition? What do they call protection? What do they call service? That's, I agree a, you with know, you. that's a that's a bigger question than anything. And then that's where you start to see the money roll to. You see what what's prioritized when you see what gets, you know, this gets this, you know, this gets this percentage of money. This gets that percentage of money. Yeah, sure. Uh salaries aren't a big percentage. You know, you can raise salaries and that's not gonna sway the bar, but so you know, but so much. But again, how much money are you putting that towards training? Are you is there really an emphasis on that? Not not just so much how much money you can throw at something, but the time and the energy that you got to put into it. It's a whole lot of other factors that come into play. But I completely we, you know, agree. What really are the priorities of these police departments? And like I said, the money will tell you. I I completely agree with you, and I I think we really are approaching that point of like reallocate the funds to the police. Like, don't give them more money. Cool. Don't take away the money so that they all start quitting. Cool, but you need to redistribute it. But I'm gonna let Shock have the last word on this one. Shock, what's good? No, nah, I mean you're. I, I think you're spot on. I mean, yeah, cops are already getting training, right? So there's already the sessions for them to get this training on. So it seems like the training is not working, right? So it's not mm-hmm. giving more money, pay all this stuff. It's again, it's reassessing everything. So I, my, I've changed my answer. I'm not. Pro-funding, not pro-defunding. I'm in between. It's This whole system needs to be fixed. I agree with that. Britt, what's up? We need to make sure that this training is happening. And then Shock just jumped in there uh, talking about, like, he doesn't know and everything. Like, are they doing this? Because some people, if you're doing the training, some people are literally probably just going through the motions. And is this really happening? But one of the reasons that we brought up the Las Vegas Metro Police Department, I think they have, like, three or four um, – SWAT teams, and it, I think there was only like one, maybe two, but then October 1st, 2017, I left right before, me and my roommate were down on the strip, and we left right before because the Colts and the Seahawks were playing on Monday Night Football, or Sunday Night Football, so it's one of those things, the Las Vegas Police Department, they had a big budget before, but October 1st shooting happened, and 50 plus people got killed, and the response, they didn't know how to respond because they never had to deal with a mass shooting before. And that's one of the things that we need to get into. This is 2022. Mass shootings are happening all the time. We need the police to understand and train for it. Granted, there are some police departments that are probably on it because I know in Texas, I read like the articles. There was a guy ready to do a mass shooting. He pulls out his rifle and pow. So I understand, but that's just my little spiel on that. 
No, nah, man, we definitely we definitely want you to speak on it. And like I said, I'm glad that we had this conversation, right? Where we can come to it really seems like we're asking the wrong questions, right? Or not asking the wrong questions, making the wrong statement, right? And so many people fight for for funding versus defunding and all that. And it seems like, like I said, it it really needs to be just uh an entire overhaul of the whole process. If we take money out the picture, I think what Leno is talking about, it ain't about the money, it's about the people. It's about the people you got doing the job, it's about the way you train the people. I think what shock is going on, right, is like it don't matter how much you pay them. If they're a bad person, they're a bad person. I think what Brick is getting into, right, if you're not trained to handle a situation, you can't handle the situation. You know what I'm saying? So I'm glad that we talked about that because at the end of the day, we are all people of color. And I think that I, I don't think that we are done right by the police. I mean, I'll, I'll answer it. You know, show of hands, how many of y'all get that brief moment where your heart drops if you see blue lights in the rear view? They ain't even coming for you. Every time. Y'all remember when they first had them LED lights on the cars and they would look blue? I used to be shook at first. I was like, oh, they following me. So, all right. I think I think we've been on that topic long enough. You know what I'm saying? Um, I'm glad that we got into it. That's just one job. But on the topic of jobs, I want to make sure that we talk about the worst jobs that we have ever had. Now, I will talk about one, and it's the reason why I hold this horrible, horrendous job so near and dear to my heart is because the one and only Leno the Wave guy convinced me to work there. He called me and hit me with a lovely speech. Now, I'm just paraphrasing here, but it was along the terms of, hey, I was just reaching out to see if you had any plans for the summer. I was like, no, nah, bro, you know, we just working out. I'm thinking we having a regular conversation. He said, just trying to see if you had any plans for the summer. No, nah, bro, I don't. Well, I have this lovely opportunity that could offer you a way to make some serious money. At this point, I should have recognized that does not sound like the Leno I know. It sounds like he reading the script. His next words were, if you're interested, I know of a great startup company where you could make a lot of money. <laughs> so I still didn't realize that he was in character. And this is supposed to be my dog. He he lied to me. I said, yeah, what's up? Send me the info. You know I'm always down to make a buck. And I ended up selling knives for Cutco. Now, the name that I want to give Cutco actually starts with an F, but it didn't spell too differently. I hated that job. I was selling knives, but I couldn't get a sale. I was calling everybody I knew. I was calling mama. I was calling daddy, cousins, friends from back then, middle school friends, elementary school friends, people whose name I just had in my phone. I didn't even know them. Trying to sell them a knife. Do you know how degrading it is to say I have this wonderful set of knives? It comes with a 12 cal. You've got a paring knife. You've got a meat cleaver. I, bruh. I ain't spoken to some of them people since I tried to sell them a knife. All right. Who's next? I'm done. I hate them. I'm gonna let y'all. I'm gonna let one of y'all go first because Vector is um, I I too fell victim of the Vector trap. Well, obviously you told the story, but I too am a victim. You I, don't I, claim the victim when I'm the victim. I'm the victim of your deceit. It won't my, my dog. It won't my deceit. I got go. I got about a hundred fifty dollars before my. You know, say before I ran out of people that I said, "Hey, come sign this piece of paper for me, so I can get fifteen dollars worth." Or oh, am I not supposed to say what? Well, you know, you if you know, you know. But I got everybody's my worked for them. 
He got your signature. And then they were supposed to, when you were supposed to make the comparison, how much do you think you spend a week eating out? You know, people were like, oh, no, like 150, 200. Well, you could save plenty of money. You could save up to $75 a week. What if I told you that? That equals 150. You know what you could buy? And they have you calculated out. I actually use the same trick on my patients to smoke cigarettes uh, when I try to get them to quit in the clinic and it's worked. You just calculate what it equals in a year, which is always astronomically more. And what they do? Oh, I didn't know that. I had a patient who I could not get to stop smoking real quick. And I ended up just putting in my calculator how much he spends a year on cigarettes. It ended up being $2,040. He quit two days later. Said he was buying one of them little tracker boats so he could fish. Now that's work. I hate Cutco. Now he's smoking on his boat. Yeah, I was about yeah. to say, where's he at now? <laughs> That he's smoking he said, man, boat. I take a year off from these cigarettes. I, I probably add about 15 <laughs> years on the back end and I can get a boat. Yeah, I go ahead and trade up for you, partner. He said, give it up for a year and then double back. He's smoking more yeah. than he was before. Man, you get a couple years on the back end, cutting out for a year, eating some vegetables and whatnot. Mm-hmm. He's more money because he probably, you can't go on the boat without some beer. So you got to get the beer. You got to get a pack of Marlboro You Red. can't fish without something. You can't just sit out there and fish. <laughs> nothing to drink, nothing to smoke, and it's just nothing. I love fishing. I ain't sitting out there just nothing. <laughs> nah, there got to be something wrong with you if you're out there with nothing. Like, that's yeah, great. Yeah. 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 All right, who next? Who got the next job? All right, so I'll jump in here. Oh, shot. you gone? You gone? <laughs> I was just going to say, uh, shout out to Cutco. I interviewed there. I was like, nah, fuck this. I would say it wasn't, I mean, not the worst. I mean, I haven't had too many jobs, but it was landscaping. I did landscaping for a summer uh, in the South, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Hot as hell, but I can't lie, man. Got Got a nice little workout in every day during the summer, so I can't even lie, man. But yeah, that shit was that shit. I would not go back. I would not go back. I did landscaping. I did landscaping right before COVID jumped off. Like right before COVID jumped off, maybe like I was out that bitch for a month. It was barely spring, so it won't too cold. How big were the yards y'all had to do? So we was doing like. Fact, like we was laying, we was doing the landscaping at like factory plants and laying mulch and throwing mulch and stuff like that one day, and then we go and do cousin yard the other day. You know what I'm saying? Mm. It's just whatever is whatever's on tab. But when it got hot outside, that's when you start hitting. He had like contract, he had contracts with you know with stores and stuff like that. He was cutting grass at facilities and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? He was doing a landscaping, you feel me? And we, so, damn man, we had like we had like South Charlotte. I'm talking country South Charlotte, out in Weddington, Waxhaw, big old big old plots of grass, dog. And that God, uh, hundred degrees at least every day. Yeah, flashback. Every day. All right, all right, all right, all right. Let's move on so we can finish up here, fellas. All right, Brick, what is the worst job you? Now, Brick is like Uncle Ruckus. Let me let me tell y'all, he has had. About about sixteen jobs. <laughs> I got twenty jobs. What's the worst job, Rick? All right, so I want to be real with y'all. I have had a lot of jobs. I have started out from you know the rooter to the tutor. I made it from the gutter. But I will tell you, 
I used to work for. (laughs) I started out working at Kroger as a bagger. I showed up in a suit ready for this interview thinking like I'm going to be the top flight bagger of the world, Craig. That's our mama that convinced <laughs> you to wear a suit for a Kroger interview. But yeah, shout out to mama. Okay. <laughs> yeah, shout out my mama because guess what? I got that job. And what they don't tell you, you know what the baggers do? They don't just bag groceries. It's like mean, carts. You get those carts. And like Shock was saying, it's hot. I was in Raleigh, North Carolina, you know, North Carolina boys in here and moving carts in the summer. And I remember about day three, I got on it. Yo, it's not a lot of people come through in the summer because it's hot, it's humid. So during the day, once like 10 customers go out, I'm gonna go grab those carts. And then once another 10, I'm gonna grab those carts. And one lady was like, I need a bagger right now. She started yelling at me. Boy, I was about to snap on her, but the assistant Karen. manager was right there. Yeah, yeah, she turned into a full Karen. The assistant mm. manager was right there. was like, hey, before you get suspended or get fired, I'm like, fire from Kroger? Do it. <laughs> <laughs> I told her, I was like, no, 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 what's up? So she moved me to produce, and that was as a, like, 16, 17-year-old dude moving to produce in the summertime. You working out for football is amazing because everything expires and you're supposed to throw it out. I threw it right out to my car and I was crushing strawberries, peaches. I had salads. That joint was amazing because you can't sell expired food. But let's be real. How does that farmer know that these strawberries are going to expire? And he put them out three weeks ago. You don't know that date. These things still good. I throw out one bad one. I'm going to eat it. That's that GMO, genetically modified organisms, dog. Yeah, so it went from the worst, being a bagger for about two weeks, to I was loving life working produce at Kroger. Shout out Kroger, Raleigh, North Carolina. What's up? (laughs) Out by Wakefield, Mm -hmm. too. I'll tell him. I don't know the number. (laughs) Hey. All right. Well, everybody knows that there's something they don't work. But next, we're going to be getting into a man that loves his work and has grown very much within the black community to show his worth. All right. We're going to be getting into the interviews next. Thank y'all. I just had some oodles of doodles. I had to get a bite. You are never that broke. They're delicious. Even when you get money, they're still delicious. Don't sit here and act. See, all right. We need to go ahead and get started interview because I was like, that comment, you just called a nigga broke for eating noodles and noodles. Don't act like you forgot where you came from. They are delicious. They are not nutritious. You you need to upgrade the top ramen at least. Huh? Wait, which brand was y'all? Was y'all the top ramen or the Maruchin? Maruchin, nigga, what you mean? Top ramen. What? Upscale, you you got that. Oh, excuse me. Y'all over here Ups- differentiating. <laughs> I got the 15 <laughs> He said, I got the 12 cent pack, nigga. I got the 15 cent pack. <laughs> All right. Well, let me make sure I get into it to introduce the gentleman that we have here today on do rags and stethoscopes. We have Kalen Robbins. He is an assistant brewmaster as well as a process manager at Anheuser Busch out in Houston, Texas. Uh, previously was employed in Atlanta. I find him to be a close friend of mine for sure. Prior to that, he actually worked at Lincoln Electric as a process manager. 
and he is a graduate of the Ohio State University with a degree in industrial and system engineering, as well as a husband, a father to a two-year-old, very adventurous young man, and one of five siblings. So we welcome on Kalen Robbins. What's up, bro? What's going on, y'all? What's going on? I'm glad to be on the show. Um, I, I, I mean, I want to jump right into it, to be honest with you. And I'm glad you said the Ohio State. Yeah, I, I'm glad you recognize that. that <laughs> putting that on there. Uh, <laughs> so I, corny. I into it, man. Like, I've been in the industry, and it, it, it really hit me. I've been in the industry since 2013. I'm, like, coming up on my uh, my third or my 10-year anniversary working in uh, corporate America. And, and like, I, I really had to take a – take a second here to kind of sit back and reflect on these last 10 years and see like, man, what, what led me to this, like this role that I'm in right now and how did I get here? And, uh, I mean, I, I will, I will start from the beginning. I worked at Lincoln electric. I, I spent a couple of years there and, um, after three years with the company, um, it, it just wasn't for me. I wasn't feeling it. I didn't like to, my responsibility. I didn't, I, I have the statement that I, I still to this day live by is like, I need to know that I, I'm being valued, that like I know my worth and that I'm getting compensated and paid for the work that I feel like I'm I just supposed to be at. Uh, so I started at Lincoln Electric three years and they weren't paying, they were, to be blunt, they weren't paying the work that I felt like I was at, nor were they giving me responsibilities that I felt like I deserved. Therefore, I started seeking uh, other jobs. Um, so my first advice and even starting off is just always understand what you feel like you're worth and go after what you're worth, not what is the right now, because I'm telling you in this industry today, everyone's looking for people and everyone's looking for talent and to turnover in all industries are massive. So there's, there's opportunities. That just means that the people have the power, not the companies. Um, so after Lincoln Electric, I started at, uh, Anheuser-Busch and I can tell you right now, I started uh not knowing a single thing about beer like if you you talk to these guys now they won't even believe you how much you talk about beer and like the, the knowledge i got with it but uh i didn't know a single thing about beer but here's the deal with being a black individual in a company um you are still even to this day i still feel like there's an expectation of failure and it, it's hard and in Maybe everyone hasn't had this experience, but I still to this day have this expectation that like you don't, they're not expecting you to, to excel. They're expecting you to be pretty much borderline mediocre or they're expecting you to kind of fail, even bringing you into the corporation and going into a company where I didn't know a single thing about beer except for I drank a little bit of it when I was in college. Like I had to step my game up. I had to excel. I had to take the time to study the stuff and really understand what this industry i'm in and as a result i was able to pretty much in very short 60 years become a brewmaster and a path that i would say is not a 60 year path okay so was can you just tell us for the people and i'm gonna let leno ask questions as well but what exactly is a brewmaster like if i were to give you my description i feel like you are almost like kind of like Charlie in the Chocolate Factory or Willy Wonka where like you're at the head of the table and you got all these people that are just getting this work done but you're the master of it you got the recipe you got the secrets and you set them up and I say that jokingly but I do say that is like that dude was always like the kingpin to me as well you know it's like 
you call in the shots. So can you describe for us what is a brewmaster? Um, so it's different depending on the type of industry you're in. If you're a brewmaster in a smaller industry, um, like a craft brewery, it, it won't be exactly like it is in the current role where it's at Anheuser-Busch and it's a pretty large uh, industry. But for me, what it means is I'm in charge of the day-to-day operation. Um, I need to, like, our number one thing is always safety and quality, all that good stuff. The biggest thing for us is getting beer out the store, right? I need to ensure that beer is made, finished, and out the door, and the quality is for every aspect of that. So the water that we're coming in, the the grain that's coming in, the the every stage of making beer that we're we're perfecting that process in every stage, and then finally before it even hits, when it gets packaged and put into a can or a bottle, right before it goes out the door, I gotta ensure that like I we gotta taste everything to ensure that the quality is where it needs to be, and that we're not gonna poison the customer and or have customer complaints or anything like that. So that, and then the whole operation and the 77, 81 plus people that works in the industry, that that's all under my umbrella. Mm, okay. Okay. Leno, what you got for him? Get it started. So I really want to know, man, how you feel? You spoke about being a black man, you know, in your position, um, how you feel there's a expectation of failure. Uh, what keeps you focused and grounded, you know what I mean, as you're trying to persevere through and down that path, a path that's, you know, not very many have traveled and made through successfully. How do you feel as though, one, you successfully made it down that path, and two, what's kept you focused down that path? You know, it, I mean, there's a couple things. I mean, I grew up in Youngstown, Ohio, and I don't know if you, anybody know Youngstown, Ohio, but, like, it ain't that great of a place. I'm not going to lie to you. It, it was like murder capital for a while there. A lot of people don't come out and a lot of people don't leave Youngstown, Ohio. Like a lot of people just end up being stuck there. And somehow, by the grace of God, I was able to make it out of there. And that, one, that's my motivation more than anything. Like I know where I came from. I know what I overcame to get where I am. And I'm the second one is like family, you know, like I, I became a truly a different person once I when I got married um, and now even a bigger person, a, a totally different person. I don't know, my father, but. It, it just changed perspective to say that, like, I used to be this huge, like, career-driven person and forget everything else. And I, but now, like, I'm – my career is driven and my success is driven by the fact that I want to succeed for my family. Like, I, I want to – the better I do, the more I prosper, the better my family prospers as a whole, the better we become different. So that truly has to be your motivation ground is to say – I think as, as – again, going back to the fact that, it, like, the failure in the comment there, like, I, as a – black individual you have to find what motivates you and for me as family for me is understanding where i came from and i don't want to go back nor do i nor do i want to i want to be in a position to help others out in that position and usher them to the like usher them to the next stage okay well i mean so what what is the like what is the connection right because me you know i'm not a father yet but like I'm looking forward to it. It is something that I'm happy about. So what is that connection? I feel like it's it's obvious, but it's not obvious where you could say, you know, like leadership or it's the you know trying to raise someone. But what is that connection between like being a strong father, which, you know, both of y'all are, and then being able to work in an environment where you feel like you're not not necessarily that you're not welcome, but you're not expected to be in? 
You know, it is it's interesting. So this Houston was different for me. So this actually is the first where I felt like the people that uh, work for me are um, it, a lot of them are black. In this case, uh, it's still not like 50 50 or it's still majority white. But this is the first primary where a lot of them are black. Normally, my, my teams consists of majority of white males in this yeah. industry, the nature of the beast. Um, I would say, first off, just to clear the air, man, some of this, uh, when you're a leader, a lot of it is glorified babysitting. Uh, like, it really is. <laughs> Straight up, like, what? Glorified babysitting. Like, you got to hold people accountable. You got to make sure they're doing their job. You got to tell them when they're not doing it. You got to slap their hands a couple times. Like, it, it's glorified babysitting in some cases. But I, I think as a father, like you, you kind of learn patience. You kind of learn how that everyone's different and that you, you have, you learn how to speak to people. You, like my child, like I got to really understand that like there's certain things that they just generally, he just generally doesn't know when I have to speak to him and like explain it to him and show him the right way. And it's the same. Like leadership. tell him the Cowboys are trash. Yeah. You have to speak it slowly. Oh, we, listen, let's not go there. <laughs> like <laughs> we, we, we ain't going there. We, at least I could hang up on five rings. We we were both trying. Were you alive for any of them? How old were you last time they won? I was alive for two of them. <laughs> How old were you last time they won a Super Bowl? The Ohio State, not Dallas. Yeah, we got we we gonna get there. Listen, listen. I I was I was a little young, but I remember the uh, I remember the Emma Smith and the Michael Irvin age of the Cowboys. I mean, I, I you were your son's age. I mean, I, I mean, I. But like I'm just trying to figure out when when a lot when were you alive? Were you alive for the last Dolphins Super Bowl? I wasn't, but it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> well, the thing and this and I'm not gonna make this about sports, but the one thing I would say is that every year the Cowboys fan just day year. I was realistic. There were plenty of Dolphins years where I was like, nah, not today. You know, I was like that up until about like two years ago, and now I'm just like, you know, it, it's a year. You know, I'm, I'm you got like, hope that y'all could lose in the first round of the playoffs. That's and good now. I hope that we're gonna at least have a, a contending chance of winning our division. That's all I got for us right this year. <laughs> we, 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 we probably gonna win our division. That's about all I got. Tyra Smith getting hurt the other day. Man. Yeah. He gets hurt every season. Every, year, oh. every year. And, I hate <laughs> and he's so I good, hate though. Cowboys. I hate seeing Tyra Smith getting hurt every year. First yeah. it was that elbow. The dude now is his knee, whatever it is. And then you got Jerry Jones who don't want to pick up any free agents. Like, you got all these re- receivers out there that he don't want to go call. Like, call OBJ. Please call OBJ. Jerry Jones is just glance past this. Just call OBJ. I don't know if OBJ personality fits in Dallas, but that's dang. He still keeps y'all in the same boat that you're already in now. Odell isn't going to be healthy enough to play until at least late October, November. By then, yeah, you'll have Washington and Gallup back. So that's, that's just that's, that's, that's a waste of y'all throwing money away going to get somebody like Odell. Like, it, like honestly, we got to go out and pick up some receiver. Like, we have need a better even if it's just from a veteran presence on the field i would pick up obj just to get there. Like, y'all y'all will sweep the wave of wire for sure after this last preseason game you got to cut down to 53 men some guys just you can't carry that many people on the roster and then you'll have some okay. a, a legitimate list to look at to play with to go and get yeah. at that point so we failed on linebackers we failed on like we failed now we we got a left tackle situation where i guarantee you you're probably going to see which the lineup they ain't gonna pick up nobody. I'll probably use Mark Marway. He's gonna move Steele over to left tackle. He's gonna put the rookie in there, and he gonna <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna be having a garbage offensive line. 
no receivers really because he don't really have a secondary. But we got to. Well, y'all play ball. like a good defensive line. That'll be the real test. You know what I'm saying? Ooh, like, I, I do yeah. like Parker Parsons. That, that dude is an animal. Don't take yeah. this as us having sympathy on the Cowboys either because we both hate the Cowboys. Yeah, no. Hold on, hold on. All right, how about this? How about this? If, and this is much more likely to happen, but if Ohio State wins the national championship or if the Cowboys win the Super Bowl, what are you drinking? And is it the same drink? So we talking liquor or beer? Because those are different, right? It's it's fun. Yeah, whatever, whatever. If... If Ohio State is winning the national championships, first off, I'm not drinking beer. I'm going straight liquor because that's just that's uh, my my. I got a uh, a bottle of Azul's upstairs that uh I okay. I need a reason to drink it. I, this is 149 dollars, and I I need a reason to drink it. I ain't just about to casually bust that thing open, right? Like I just want to. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that would be like to um. You know, I like low. I started drinking Lobos uh, recently. That LeBron uh, It's not bad. It's not bad. And you know, I'm a huge LeBron James fan. So come through with the sponsorship, LeBron. We got you. <laughs> Please. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if we we're, we're talking about beer, like honestly, I I will say that's my one loyalty is that I do stick to the beer with my company. It, I mean, first off, Anheuser Busch is. It just has too many freaking brands out there to like not just stick. Most of the stuff you drink probably is and it has a bush. So what's your beer of choice? So if you could put it, I get yeah. a top three. So like you said, it's Anheuser Busch so brand so well spread. Give you a top three. Um, so like Goose Island IPA it comes to mind. Like wanted to go like go to it. It's just your classic. Your an IPA. I'm, I'm a I love IPAs and that's more of a like a lighter version of it. So I, I'll go with that. If you're talking just like a straight up everyday beer, yeah, right. Like it, it's always probably like it's eventually which one? Big Ultra. Oh, oh yeah, Big Ultra. See, Big Ultra is almost like water to me though, because it is so light. It's like it's a light beer you can keep drinking. Like I, you just can't go with it. Like I love Budweiser. Don't get me wrong. If I would say my number one beer is gonna be Budweiser, and not just because I work for the company, but it is just Budweiser. But like my dad. Sponsorship cover. Hmm. Sponsorship coming. Let's go, let's go. But like, my dad grew up on Budweiser. I like, I, I had Budweiser as probably my first beer. And the thing is, I do like it. It's just a dying beer. Like nobody likes heavier beers. And the funny part is, we still consider Budweiser heavy. And the only reason why you consider it heavy is probably because it got more than five carbs in it. So everyone's like, ah. <laughs> I'm used to seeing that in the brown paper bag. You drinking Bud Heavy? <laughs> You know, you had that that all brown bottle, the glass bottle. Yeah. They were drinking that out of brown yeah. paper bag. Oh Lord, that, shout out to the brown paper bag boys. So, talking about those days, those brown paper bag days that we all do remember. So, how would you say you were able to rise from, you know, what you would consider humble beginnings? If you want to take us through as in depth or as distant from that as you want to get to where you're at now. Um. So. I mean, growing up, it was a stigma of, like, and especially in Youngstown, Ohio, that you just wasn't making out of Youngstown, Ohio. Like, most people don't. I, I think um, it, it really is a rare thing. Most of my parents, my parents are still there. My aunts and my grandmother's still there. You, you just stay stay in Youngstown. It's because, and it's funny, you go to Youngstown, ain't nothing there. 
like I said, Dying City, like they used to have steel mills back in the 90s, steel mills closed. They used to have GM plants and GM plant closed. So it, it just it ain't a lot there. So looking back on like how did I get out and how what, what motivated me to get out was just that I needed to separate myself from the city. And the only way okay. I was like I, I played sports in high school. I was uh, I was on football um, early in high school, but like I realized I wasn't gonna be anything special. And like what what worked for me was my academics. I was smart, so I was able to use that as a a gateway to college. And from there, did people did I hate to interrupt you, but did people cheat off your test in school? I just uh they did. I didn't go cap. They did. I didn't get a full ride scholarship to Ohio State. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, stats for those uh, who trying to look for that ten thousand off that just came out recently. Uh, I ain't got to worry about that. Okay. Mm-hmm. But man, I, I was, it was just one of the things. Man. Like I, just, I, I needed to get away, and that was my my motivation was like I need to use something to get away from this. And I ain't gonna say everybody's gonna have the academics. Everybody's not gonna have the um, but use what God gifted you to elevate yourself and, and like use that to your advantage take advantage of what you are like if you think about like if you're good with your hands trade school people who come out of trade school is probably the most hottest commodity you can possibly have right now Shoot, it really you know, really is you know what the number one job right now to be is an electrician if you're a certified electrician you can name your price and someone will pick you up like the, the yes. turnaround for like the demand for electricians right now is insane and it's because no one wants to go to trade school because everyone keeps telling you you need to go to college and then it's like college or bus and it's like no it's actually like do something you can make six figures as an electrician like you truly can yeah even more than i like some of these welders can make a half a million a year some from skilled welders can go over to japan and make half a million a year what type of welding they doing in japan they making buildings it's, 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 it's on a uh, gas lines, some pipe welding on gas lines. Now, the conditions ain't the greatest. I'm about to say, that sounds like they pay like it's dangerous. <laughs> Take this blowtorch and go blow next to that natural that, gas. That, that is an extreme version. Make a smaller version of it, like some submarine welders, uh, some of the yeah. last pipe welders, they can make a quarter million a year. Like, Underwater welding is something that has always interested me. I don't know if I've ever told anybody about that. I think I may have mentioned it to my wife. Not because I necessarily want to do it. I just think it's crazy to be like, I'm going to put on this scuba gear, take <laughs> this blowtorch, and I'm going to go fix this bridge. You said that somebody, I'm like, bro, what are you smoking? Barely can't see. You might get ate by a shark. <laughs> like, <Yeah. you> know? <laughs> and they're like, I got that bright blue. Ain't no shark going to mess with me. I'm like, okay. Man, or Alaska, those those people I would like to do welding in Alaska, and those, uh, those gas lines out in Alaska, nah. I mean, I ain't ever. I can never do it, but like... Shout out to them, though. They make good money, like you said. They make real good money. And I just, Alaska is something else. But, I mean, the thing is, though, like, what people fail to realize is that whatever you're good at, you can use that to your advantage. Like, you don't need to be the smartest person in the room. You don't need to be the best athlete in the world. You know? yep. Those aren't just, those are just two, like, avenues. And you don't necessarily have to go to college. And that's not a popular statement to say. But you can go to trade school. And it is 100% okay to go to trade school. I think, yeah, because I think we need to spin that narrative of it's not that you got to go to college, it's that you got to do something after high school. Yes. It's right. the individuals that don't do anything after high school, and I'm like, that's when you settle. But right. whether you go to trade school, you say you start a business, you go into entrepreneurship, you do mm-hmm. decide to go to college. 
you're doing something. But it's the ones that are like, I'm good. I got my GED. I can walk down the street and work here. It's like, well, you you got to have growth. You got to have expansion. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I'll say this part, and this is not a plug to Leno, okay? But what I will say is that I truly never felt like I was the smartest person in any of my training to becoming a physician. Like, and what I mean by that is I knew that I did have a level of determination. Playing college sports, playing football, growing up where, you know, I grew up with, with my brothers, my sister, my family. I knew that if I said I was going to do something, I was going to do something. And I think you can ask anybody that really knows me. They're like, yeah, you know, he's he's pretty serious about that. And that was it. I was like, oh, no, I'm going to get this. So I, I got in. Now, the first week was like the opening scene of Saving Private Ryan or whatever, when they were like bodies dropping left and right. People... I had a gentleman that dropped out in the middle of an anatomy um, dissection. We were dissecting a cadaver, and he slammed the scalpel down and said, that's it. I was like, you just going to leave me with this whole piece of the project myself? We were dissecting a leg. <laughs> but that's, that's the drive. Like, And I feel like y'all have that. And I do feel, I truly feel like fatherhood adds that drive, right? Because then you got, one, you got somebody that looks up to you. Two, you got somebody that is dependent on you. So you put all that in there. It's like, this is what I want and need. And I got to show up for my son. And I really do respect that, especially when a man can make that transition. Because some, you know, they want to be losers or stay away. Others have certain stipulations. You know, we can't judge everything. But then I see y'all, you're like, no, nah, my son do this, my son do that. I love when y'all hear y'all speak on that. So I definitely want y'all to, as fathers on the podcast, to speak on that a little bit more. And just once again, talk about like life and growing up and having somebody look up to you, bro. It is probably by far one of the most amazing films in the world. Like to see like your, your son, like first off, somebody calling you dad is like it, it took some adjustment. Like whoa, 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 nah. But <laughs> <laughs> but it, after you get like man, it, it's the most amazing film in the world. And like the fact is, he he repeats. He's at an age where he's just repeating everything you do, and you already know that he, he's watching you with wide eyes and saying what you do, who you are, what kind of man you're gonna be, and he's and that is going to shape everything he's going to be. And, like, that is – it's a scary feeling, but it's also in the same token, like, man, the most amazing feeling to have. Like, to have a two-year-old that's, like, literally following me around, copying everything I'm doing, like, trying to just be me. And it just puts – it puts pressure, but it puts motivation. And most people – and I, I'm glad I said that. Because when you say pressure, like, it puts pressure on you to be good. But that ain't, that ain't pressure. That's motivation to be better. And to constantly try to be better. Like, you – you your goal – should always be to be better than what you were yesterday. And if you ain't striving for that, then where you, you just want to be stagnant. You just want to be you, you happy where you are. Never, never be satisfied with results, man. Always strive for better than where you were yesterday. You keep that mindset, learn a little bit more than what you did. Like, how do you, how do I gain more knowledge today than I have today? How do I, how do I become better in some way, whether it's like, I'm working out. Okay, great. You did this for the last week. What are you going to do differently to be better? I, I'm a brewmaster. Cool. What's the next step? Like the moment you start getting stagnant is the moment that your son, your kids, thinks that complacency is okay. Mm. Mm. Okay. Let know you gonna piggyback off it. What you gonna tell us about it? Yeah, I mean, you guys have pretty much you both hit you know on some good points. I think you touched on two good points. You're thinking about you know, everything that you're doing now, but you also start to think about legacy, man. You know, when you start to have, when you start to have kids and when you start to have people that are 
coming behind you, not only that you're responsible for, um, you're thinking to a lot of the thing that runs through my mind, especially all the time is, man, I got to leave something behind so that, you know, my, my son and children, if I have any more, so that whatever they have, whatever they're going through, whatever their future, you know, whatever their future holds, that there is something that I left behind them that will give them any sort of step up, head start inside track in order to do so. Uh, you really just, at the end of the day, you really just want to leave something behind, not only to say, you know, who you were, but something that will live on, that you can pass on, and that can maintain, almost like that family name, you know what I mean? You're, a lot of people take their last name very seriously when it comes to legacy and, you know, things living on and things of that nature. Uh, so it's really, it's, it's really just a matter of, like you said, getting a little bit better every day. But not so much just getting better every day for yourself, but getting better every day for the people that that are coming behind you. And it's 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 a it's talking about motivation uh, as opposed to pressure. It's just something that will get you out of the bed every morning before your alarm clock goes off. You know what I mean? It's like when you have when you have kids. I was never really a morning person, and you know now I find myself just waking, not even waking up in the middle of the night, but just not needing so much feeling like I don't need as much energy. I don't need as I, I don't go off as much rest. One, because I can't. And two, because I'm just so excited and I'm just so motivated to push forward and move forward. And like I said, work on that legacy and leave that legacy behind. I know I've got a limited amount of time. And, you know, Lord willing, he spares me. I'll have long enough to leave a, a lasting legacy for my son and my, my children to follow behind and enjoy. I gotta ask a question off that. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, Cause you talk about legacy, and that's, that's a very good point. Why? Why do you guys think like eh, I, I this? But why is it that in a black community right now that, that plugs and information and like knowledge is and knowledge? Man, growing up, I didn't get that. Bro. Like, I, like if I knew if I knew what I knew now, and could tell my 10-year-old, 15-year-old, 18-year-old self, what I now, man, life would be so much different for me. And why, like, it's funny, we, I watch my parents go through their own personal struggles that they talk nothing, absolutely nothing about it. And I think that stigma, like, it's just, I I feel like that stigma is with the Black community, and and we just don't want to share the pain that we've gone through. We don't want to share the, the even even not even not even from a pain perspective, but the knowledge that we gain. Like I have grandparents that are fantastic in real estate, fantastic, probably very successful in real estate. I started my real estate like I'm trying to get get into real estate with zero groundwork, and it is like y'all couldn't tell me anything about this. Y'all didn't, y'all didn't want to pass that now. I th- so I think was that is a part of that is due to our community structure, right? Where like, if you stay where you're at, you can then give to the people. And I feel like that's something that we feel is true, but it's not, it's not necessarily that way. Cause a lot of us talk about being a product of our environment and where we come from, yada, yada, but we don't go back as much as we should. And when you do go back, you know, you're interacting with very few people. Cause at the end of the day, you feel like people do change. So mm-hmm. to speak to the youth, to reach out to the youth, you're like, you know, that's so-and-so's son, that's so-and-so's daughter. You know, this is, Hey, homeboy, I know them. I've known them from around the way. But to be able to share that knowledge, you got to be in it, right? Because mm-hmm. I've seen it. I've heard it said to me from one of the old heads, one of the people that gives me a lot of wisdom, where he was talking about, you know, 
um, the housing market, and he was saying that the majority of black communities are two paychecks away from bankruptcy at the end of the day, if something catastrophic happened financially. And the reason why I bring that up, it just shows that like the generational wealth, the generational knowledge hasn't been passed on of how to build that at a younger age, unless they're in your community, right? Y'all talk about legacy. You're going to tell your son that. Leno going to tell his son that. I'm going to tell my son that. But it's up to me to tell my son's classmates, to tell my son's friends, to tell the people that are in my daughter's circles the same knowledge. I was putting my sister and her friends on game about starting a business. And I was telling them it's not as expensive as you think, it's not as hard as you think. But they were giving me every, not some of them were giving me every excuse under the under the sun about why they couldn't start a business. And at the end of the day, I was like, if it's the financial aspect, you make that in you know two hours of work. It's not expensive to do it, but you have to have consistency. And I think in our communities, sometimes we lack consistency of going back and spreading that knowledge. Yeah. And then the people that do, that's. We just don't have enough of them. You know what I'm saying? That's what I would say. Yeah. I think um, um, it's it's really all to do with culture and, you know, how we are as a culture. I feel like, oh, in other cultures, you have a culture where I don't want to say I don't want to make I don't want to be stereotypical or cast judgment or generalize. You have cultures where. You know, a head start in whatever form or fashion that may be at home, financial or otherwise, a head start is common. A head start is spread and that knowledge is spread and that's, and all of that is, and that's passed down and that's spread throughout a culture as opposed to a culture that we're more familiar with where you've got to pull, you've got to pull together. You've got to come from a situation where you're not receiving all of, you know, you don't have the same sort of benefits. You don't have the same sort of foothold that other cultures seem to generally go off of and enjoy and reap the benefits of. It's a different set of circumstances that you have to come from where you, it seems like you're, you're, pull, you're trying to pull up, you're trying to fight an uphill battle on one end. From the other end, you know, you've got you you started to climb from the you know from the top of the mountain. It's really it's really not a comparable type of circumstance where you want to try to um, you know compare compare you know differences to. Makes sense. Yeah, I mean that, and this is the knowledge. So then, what we need to do is be active on it. I think right. So I'm glad we can get together. I'm glad we can talk about this, and then we need to act on it. And I'm just thankful to have, you know, brothers, role models, friends, people that can do that. And I think if we get more people, if we can spread that knowledge to more people and let them know, like, to be active in your community, you know, you can see representation of what a strong man, a strong black man, a strong father looks like. Then you need to be active in that. And to all y'all dirtbag dads out there, I'm just saying, y'all trash, bro. You can't bring a child in this world and just, you know ditch on them like that i just wanted to say that you know that's that's trash to me i had to make sure i said take care of your kids bro i don't understand how you take care of your kids. i just don't i don't like I don't, I don't care what my relationship with uh I, I love my wife and we good but like if we weren't in cordial tone like if we weren't being if we were struggling that my son wouldn't be affected by it like that's that's wild how people yeah, can do. yeah. 
Like, well, I can't remember exactly. I'm a butcher, but Lil Dirk has said like, "You think you're supposed to get credit just because you're taking care of your kid?" I, that line hits so deep with me. He's like, "That's what you're supposed to do." Like, ain't nobody supposed to be like, "Yeah, but pause for that." But you know how our community is, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's it should be second nature. Yeah, it's yeah. it's more often than not where you see fathers not there. So it became a, uh, it became, it's honestly like starting to become the stigma that like we want to get credit where credit is due because it's just like, okay, that number's starting to shift and it is, we don't talk about it enough, but that number is shifting. Yeah. Yeah. You look at like these young boys, like, cause you know, every year we age, but high school graduates don't like you guys graduate 18 college graduates don't like you see like senior days and stuff like that. And they be with both their parents. And I, I know it's a small thing, but I'm like, that's what's up. Like mm-hmm. you see a mom and dad walk out with them. Like I've always been envious of that stuff. I think that's dope. Hey, don't let that fi- that picture can fool you, man. That's the most awkward senior picture I've ever <laughs> taken in my life. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he like they ain't talked in years. I'll just give you, I'll give y'all, I'll give you a, a quick background. So my senior year, my parents were going through a divorce. My senior year, so if for high school, you know, you got the senior walkout for senior pictures and stuff like that. There. They are mid-divorce. I mean, in the heat of divorce. Oh, God. And we got to go out for my senior for for homecoming, my senior year. I'm thinking to myself in between these two, like, if they could just hold it together <laughs> for, these ten, for 10 minutes while we take this picture and then go their separate ways, we'll be good. And I, <laughs> even, I still got the picture somewhere in the house somewhere. It is the most, uh, to this day, it's the most <laughs> awkward picture i've ever been in been a part of ever uh you guys have shown me that because i want to be able to just like knowing it is not to clown you but it's to look at it and be like could i see it or did they do a good job of holding it together i don't yeah i don't i, I i'm blind i i look at it so you it's I like they hated yeah i could only look at it one way but I, if yeah. you ever see it if you ever if i ever show you that picture you'll if you you be the judge and you tell me because that's yeah. for sure the most awkward picture i've ever seen <laughs> <laughs> I have to, I have to. But before we end it, yo, this has been super dope, Caleb. We appreciate you coming on to do rags and stethoscopes. Well, um, sure. Is there anything else that you want to say to people? Anything you want to shout out? Anything you want to plug? You want to talk? You got to invite? Whatever you want to say, bro. The floor is yours. These last couple moments. Yeah, um, I, I think the the last thing I would say to everybody, man, is just to continue with your hustle. There is so many ways out here to actually build yourself up there's so many ways you can make profit in this and not i'm not even talking little money but i'm talking the hundreds of thousands of dollars and it ain't just working for corporate america route and it showed success with me and definitely but what i would say there is so many other out there that you can go so many avenues you can see with um and that being said ohio state's gonna win a national championship this where you know the cowboys going to the super bowl i just know yeah i just know them cowboys are going to the super bowl. <laughs> that's an ohio state see oregon first week of the year okay and all right fellas so we gonna wrap it up but thank you so much caitlin for taking your time and joining in with us we wanted to make sure that we, you know, send love your way and, and prosperousness and everything in your future career. Um, but just thank you for having, you know, we thank you. Thank you for being on. We thank you for coming on to the show, bro. Hey, I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Of course, man. Of course. We're going to holler at you later. All right, guys. Have a good night.
Thank y'all for tuning in to another great episode of Do Rags and Stethoscopes. It has been so fun. As always, we send y'all love and blessings. Thank y'all for tuning in to us. Night, people. Peace.